As we've gathered in the Lord's house tonight, I can't help but to have my eyes drawn to this front window on this side of the room, portraying Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. It's a constant reminder that on that night, this night that we celebrate, that he uttered the eight most important words ever uttered by the Son of Man or any Son of Man. Not my will, but thy will be done. Let us pray. O Lord, as we come before you tonight, as we have heard your word, as we have worshiped your name, as we have dared to pray before you, we ask your mercy. We ask for your truth. And we ask that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, for it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our Passover Lamb, and in the name of the Holy Spirit that we pray, amen. Jesus had laid God's plans before them multiple times by this point. He told them about it in story form in the parable of the wicked tenants. And he had told them plainly, without embellishment. He said, we're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and they will deliver him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and they will spit on him and they will flog him and they will kill him. But then after the third day, After three days, he will rise. And now, on the night before his crucifixion, he set the plan before them one last time. And this third time, however, in a different way. And on that Passover night, he filled in one last big detail. That he would be betrayed. That he would not simply fall into the hands of the priests and the Romans, but that he would be sold out by one of them. He said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. He was saying one of them would take an active role. But he warned that even though it would only take one of them to betray him, all the rest would abandon him. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. They would all flee when he needed them most. And I think that this is the first time that it dawned on the disciples that they were part of God's plan for Jesus' death. They weren't just going to be observers or spectators. They would be participants. And then in a pre-enactment of his death, Jesus took the bread and he took the cup and he gave them to the disciples and said, take 
Now we celebrate Monday Thursday, Monday Thursday, to remember that on the night before he was crucified, Jesus taught his disciples in an unconventional way. Mark tells us that on the night before he was crucified at the Passover meal, Jesus took that bread and after blessing it and broke it and then he gave it to them and then he said to take, this is my body. And then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they drank all of it and he said to them, this is the blood of my covenant which is poured out for many. And with these words, the Lord instituted what we call the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, the Holy Communion. And by these actions and words, he was saying, this is how you shall remember what I am about to do for you. This is how you are supposed to remember. As we look ahead, Mark's gospel is very brief in its account of the Last Supper. It's very lean on details. It explains nothing. And so we need to look to other parts of Scripture to learn more about what the Lord wanted them to learn from this unconventional object lesson. And I want to point to two verses from the Apostle Paul that help us to understand the Lord's purpose. They're from 1 Corinthians 11.26 and 1 Corinthians 10.16. 1 Corinthians 11.26 says this, For as often as you eat of this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul says that the bread and the cup proclaim the Lord's death. In theological terminology, we say that the Lord's Supper is a sign. Now, what is a sign? A sign is a symbol that points to something else. And what Paul means is that the Lord's Supper is a sign that points to Christ's death. This table is a sign that points to the cross. There's an ancient Taoist proverb that says, if you see a finger pointing to the moon, don't look at the finger, look at the moon. And I think that communion in many ways functions the same way. The table around which we gather is the finger pointing to the crucifixion, pointing to the sacrifice of Christ, pointing to the cross. It's a nonverbal finger pointing to the passion of Jesus Christ. And it's saying, when you're gathered here, look at the cross. Look at the cross. And by gathering around this table, we are proclaiming the Lord's death. We are beckoning people. We are pointing to the Lord's death, begging them to look to the cross and to see the Savior who gave his life for us. And so we think of the Lord's Supper, this Last Supper, as a sign pointing to the cross. But the Lord's Supper is not just a sign. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Paul says that the Lord's Supper is also a way for us 
to participate in the sacrifice of Christ. In other words, we're not supposed to just be casual observers of a ritual. We are participants. We are to take part in the cross of Christ. We are to take part in the breaking of his body and in the spilling of his blood. And therefore, theologians say that the Lord's Supper is not only a sign, but it is also a seal. Now, whereas it's easy to understand what we mean when we say the Lord's Supper is a sign, sometimes it's a little bit more difficult to understand what we mean by calling it a seal. But the difference is this. A sign points to something outside of itself. Whereas a seal brings two things together. So think of it this way. Think of sealing an envelope. You lick the glue and you press the flap and it binds the envelope. Or in marriage, marriage is a seal. In marriage, a husband and a wife are bound together by God. Two separate lives become a part of one another. The two become one flesh. Or think about a wax seal on an ancient document that imprints the authority of the sovereign on the written proclamation. The authority of the sovereign is brought together and seals the document. Paul's point is that the Lord's Supper is not simply a sign of what Jesus did. It's a seal that binds us to him. We don't just point. The Lord's Supper is not just something we watch. We're involved in it. Think of it this way. In, in 1975, CBS's show, 60 Minutes, carried a story about a, a group of Vietnamese refugees who were attempting to land on a stretch of Malaysian coast. The reporter was Ed Bradley, and he began to report on the fate of these people in their frail, leaky boats. All of a sudden, those who were watching him on TV became aware that Bradley was no longer just simply doing his report, watching the refugees. He had waded waist deep into the water and was carrying children. He was carrying old men and women, lifting them out of the water, helping them to the shore. He was no longer just an outside observer. He was no longer just a reporter. He became part of the story. He didn't just stand there while mothers and children struggled to swim and old men and women tried to keep from drowning in the, in the crashing waves. He got involved. He got into the water and he helped them. He saved them. But he was no longer just a reporter. He was a participant. He was a part of the story. The Lord's purpose that night was twofold. Jesus gave us a means both to proclaim his death and to participate in his sacrifice. Maundy Thursday is about proclamation and participation. And when we gather around this table, not just on Maundy Thursday, but any time, we do so not only to remember the events of that week, 
but to remember that we are not simply reporters or observers or bystanders of the grace of God. We are part of the story. Now, how do we participate? Well, the first part of our participation is our confession. The first thing we have to do to participate is to confess our part in his death. We have to admit that just like the disciples, we're not only observers of his death, we're participants in it. We're not just bystanders to the death of Jesus Christ. We each, by our sin, have our part in it. Jesus did not give his life as a ransom for other people. Jesus Christ gave his life as a ransom for us. For me, for you, for all of us, for sinners. A few years ago when the movie The Passion of the Christ was released, producer and director Mel Gibson was asked who, in his opinion, killed Jesus. Was it the Jews or was it the Romans? And his answer was profound. Who killed Jesus? Gibson answered, we all did. We don't want to admit it, but we had a part in Jesus' death. Of course, we sound a lot like Peter. And like him, we protest, protest that we would never betray Jesus or that we would never have any part in his death. But even Peter, when the moment came, denied him. And whether by our own crimes or by our complicity or by our denial or, not, or by not speaking out against corruption around us, each of us is responsible for putting Jesus on that cross. We are as much a part of his death as the scribes, as the Pharisees, as Caiaphas, as Pontius Pilate, as the soldiers, as Peter, as Judas. We all have a part in it. We are the Romans. We are the Jews. We are the mob gathered around the cross. And we who are gathered around this table are the very sinners who made it necessary. And just as this bread and cup are on this table for us, so was the body of Jesus put on the cross for us. It is his body that was broken, but human hands, our hands, that broke it. And it was his blood that was shed, but it was human hands, our hands, that poured it out. And so when we see the elements on the table, we see our Lord on the cross because of us, not because of somebody else, not because of other people, but because of us. And if you think, well, that's not me, I don't have any part in that. I want you to think over the last year, a year of anger, a year of frustration, a year of fear, a year of hateful words and hateful actions. Either by our words or by our actions, 
Have we ever denied Jesus, betrayed Jesus, ignored Jesus, sidestepped, or generally forgotten about Jesus? Have we disobeyed his ways? Have we loved the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Have we loved our neighbors as ourselves? Have we loved one another as Christ loved us? What does John say in 1 John? That if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us and we make God to be a liar. We all have a part in this. Have we given in to our fears and our frustrations? Can any of us claim to be innocent? And so we participate by confessing, by owning our own part in his death and our own need. But second, we participate by taking. Jesus blessed the bread and he blessed the cup and he gave them to the disciples and he said, take, take. I'm giving this to you. I want you to have this. You need to have this. And so we participate in the cross of Christ, in the death of Christ, in the salvation of Christ when we take it for ourselves. It's not a robbery. We're not stealing anything he doesn't freely give. We're not accepting wages. We're taking that which he has given, which he has told us to take. Medicine doesn't do any good until you take it. Food doesn't nourish until we consume it. And in the same way, we have to take this gift of Jesus for ourselves. The great preacher and teacher Karl Barth once said that faith is deciding to believe that this God, this relationship, this Savior, this grace, this purpose, and this power is for you. Not just for other people, not just for people back then, not just for people who you decide deserve it. It's for you. And faith is knowing that it's for you. And so when Jesus says, take and eat, faith is taking that and on that basis, trusting God with your life. He's telling us to do more than just accept the facts. He's telling us to own it, to take it. He's telling them to take it. He's telling us to take it for ourselves. The mystery of communion is that when we come to the table, the Holy Spirit puts the words of Jesus together with the bread and together with the juice to make tangible that which was intangible so that we can literally taste and see that the Lord is good. And what Christ is asking you to believe is that in his life and in his death and his love for you, in all those things, his love for you are as real as the bread that you feel on your teeth and the juice that you taste with your tongue. As I was meditating on the connection between the Last Supper and the crucifixion, something occurred to me. The bread and the cup on this table represent the body and blood of our Lord upon the cross. 
And we who are gathered around this table represent the people who were gathered around the cross. And so then I began to wonder if that's the case, were the words that Christ uttered from the cross meant just for them, just for those at the foot of the cross? Or were they maybe blessedly also meant for us? You know, words like, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And perhaps most importantly, it is finished. It is done. I believe that just as we are to take this bread and take this cup, we are to take these words as if he was speaking to us and consume them and chew on them and taste them and savor them until they are as real to us as the bread and the juice that we put in our mouths. You know that this is just bread and grape juice. And if they stand alone as bread and grape juice, they avail nothing. But if the power of the Holy Spirit joins them with the words of Christ in faith, we know that yes, Jesus Christ died as a ransom for my sins. And yes, through him, I have a new relationship with the Father, the relationship I was created to have. And yes, because of him, I am forgiven and it is finished. And when we consume these promises and own them for ourselves, then we are truly sealed in him. Jesus doesn't want us to run away from the cross in shame or in fear of judgment. He wants us to take, to take forgiveness of sins, to take the new covenant in his blood, to take what he has done and make it our own. And finally, having confessed our part in his death and taken his sacrifice for ourselves, communion reminds us to proclaim his death. Jesus said that this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for many. And yet there are so many who don't know, who don't understand who don't care. Yesterday, a new statistic came out that for the first time in the history of this country, less than 50% of people in this country have any connection with the church. Less than half. I cannot think of a time we need Jesus more, but seem to have him less. 
And so it's important for us to proclaim, not just to to observe, but to say what is going on at this table and in our lives. Because people see this and they think it's just a ritual. They think it's just bread and grape juice, just words. And that's why the sacrament needs the word to go with it. This sacrament and the cross to which it points tell us something very important. They tell us what people are worth to God. There's an old expression that something is, only, is really only worth what somebody else is willing to pay for it. And every time we break this bread and we pour this cup, we are proclaiming this is what you're worth to God. This is what you were worth to him. This is how much he loves you. For the proof of God's amazing love is this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus said, take, this is my, blood, my body. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many. Take his love. Take his forgiveness. Take it as your own. And proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.